Thessalonians, those two letters of Paul to the Thessalonian church, Thessalonica. Thessalonica is still there in Greece. Uh, Karen and I will be holidaying in, on an island not all that far from Thessalonica um, in July. But um, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we quiet our hearts now and humble ourselves so that we may receive what you want to say to us today. Remember the words of David in one of the Psalms, I've behaved and quieted myself as a child. The purpose he did that was so that he would hear you. Come Holy Spirit and teach us, uh, shape our minds, our hearts, so that we might walk in a way that truly honours our King and our Saviour, our God and our Father. Amen. The Lord Jesus often used the common Hebrew expression, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. If you're from South Wales, that's he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, So what do you want to hear today? What do you want to hear today? The Bible in one place speaks about people, Christians, who have itching ears. They go looking for what they want to hear, and it's not a commendation. If you use a Bible, plan, Bible reading plan, which we borrow from the navigators, by the way, you'll be working your way, the daily readings, through Psalm 119, along with the others as well, Psalm 119. And for me, I'm, I'm so glad I'm only reading seven or so verses a day and not the whole thing. But um, Have you noticed that the writer hungers for God's word? He wants to be made wise. He wants to be kept from error, kept warned from sin, trained in God's ways. I hope that's what you want to hear today, things that do those things for you. The point of preaching and teaching, even teaching away from the Bible in school or college, is not that something has been taught, applaud the teacher. It's that you have heard and learned. And that you can go away and put it into practice. That's the point of teaching. Not the teacher gets rewarded, but the the people who have been taught get helped and can advance with it. The Thessalonian letters are about this, how to live in readiness for the Lord's return. So in this next passage we're looking at today, which is in 1 Thessalonians 4, um, it's not an interjection. It's completely connected to the overall subject. This is how we live. Paul hasn't gone off the subject. This is the subject. We're looking for the Lord's return. How shall we live? And before we get into Thessalonians, I've been thinking a lot about 2 Peter recently. And I want to turn to 2 Peter 3. I'm not going to put all the words on the screen today for everything. The context is Peter's talking about the world that was destroyed by flood, by water in Noah's time. And he compares it with the present world which will be destroyed or or, or completely renewed by fire at the return of Jesus. And so he says here in 2 Peter 3 verse 7, The present heavens and earth are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wait, wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and all the works on it will be disclosed. Let me stop there for a moment. You know that car? Burned. Your house? Burned. This building? Burned. The whole earth will be renewed to be a new, new creation by God's fiery uh, presence. 
Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be. That's the, that's the question. What, since you believe these things, what sort of people should we be? It's clear what sort of people we should be. In holy conduct and godliness, as you wait for and even earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. The heavens will be on fire and be dissolved because of it. The elements will melt with the heat. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will dwell. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him, without spot or blemish. Also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. In other words, there's still time for some of your friends to become Christians. Just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. Even Peter find it, found it difficult to fathom some of what Paul said. The untaught and unstable twist these things to their destruction as they also do the rest of the scriptures. Why has the Lord Jesus not yet returned? Because the age of grace and of salvation is not yet finished. I was told when I was young that Jesus is waiting to come to reign. But then I understood from the scriptures that they teach us that he's reigning now until his kingdom is completed and then the end will come. He delivers back up a completed kingdom into the hands of his father. In the meantime, in this time, in this age, the Lord is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. His patience is an opportunity for salvation. But the day will come. What sort of people should we be? Here in 1 Thessalonians 4, Verse 1, Paul sets out a few basics for Christian living. It's not a complete list. He doesn't cover everything. I could have added more in, but I thought, no, let's let the scriptures here speak plainly for themselves. We'll look at 2 Thessalonians where he says the same thing a little longer later. Just read that through. Let's go into 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers. So he's summing things up now. He's coming to his application. Finally. We ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God as you are doing, do so even more. You've made a good beginning, keep going. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Notice that we didn't give you some, some advice. We gave you commands. We've got to get over ourselves. People do not like authority in this present time. They don't like to be told anything. Jesus doesn't advise us to do some things. He commands us to do some things. All right? We're accountable to his word for them. Because they were, I didn't think that was a good idea. I I didn't bother. He commands them. The commands we gave you for the Lord Jesus. Paul often writes in his letters about our walk as Christians. That's a phrase that means our whole way of life. Personal, family, home, workplace, church. All of life. And what scripture calls us to, and what Paul is writing about, is we are to live one life, lived in one way, for the audience of one. Walk and please God. You know, if you run a life which is sometimes being a Christian and sometimes you switch the Christian button off and you're something else, right? What is that called? You're looking at my notes, I know. What is that called? No one wants to say the word. It's called hypocrisy. It's called being double-minded and two-faced. Hypocrisy. Being double-minded and putting on different faces takes a lot of effort to cover your tracks. How many of you have seen the movie Mrs. Doubtfire? 
It's not a Christmas time very often, Mrs. Duffer. There's an extraordinary scene when he forgets which character he's playing at a particular point in time. And he's getting more and more drunk and he forgets to put his costume back on. Have you seen that bit? It's really, really terrific acting. Listen, playing the hypocrite is really hard work. It's really hard work. It's hard work being a hypocrite. You forget which, which you're being at a particular time. I mean, it's easy if you go to work and then you come home. You go, oh, I'm going to work now. I'm going home. But other times you, you go, to, oh, what, who, am I, who am I here? What do I need to be here? I'll just switch that one on. It's hard work. The better and really the simplest option is to live one life, the same life, one walk all the time. It's better and it's simpler, but I didn't say it was easier. Living a Christian life is not easy. In fact, you can't do it. Except by God's supply of his grace and of the Holy Spirit. We need grace. We need God the Holy Spirit. We need God's word, as we've been reminded recently in Psalm 119, to live. Give me your word that I may live. I could keep quoting Psalm 119. I've been not underlining it, writing it out all week. Give me your word so that I may live. This has to, this, I'll do it with my Bible, this has to live here and out here. It changes life. So our walk, I'm giving you some headlines today, our walk is governed by the Lord's word. We've received his commands, directions, instructions, so that we may live according to them. His word directs us away from what is dishonoring to God, and harmful to us and towards what glorifies God and is also our good. When you obey God, it's, it's for your good. It's better for you. To do what is forbidden, prescribed, is sin. God's law defines sin because it defines righteousness. This is what pleases God, this doesn't. When we have his word of instruction... Though, as Christians, we, there's, there's, there's another level we go to. Jesus didn't leave the law where it was. He took it to another level. Did you ever notice that? But I say to you, and implied in this new covenant is this. When we don't do what the Lord has told us, that's also sin. When we do not do what is commanded to us, is, obe- is disobedience and sin. So don't think sin is just what people out there do. Adulterers, drunkards, thieves, murderers, and so on. Sin is to disobey and dishonor God to fall short of his glory. So here's another headline for you. For a Christian, sin is just as much about failing to do what he's commanded us as doing what he has condemned. And in the collect, in the Anglican service, uh, before communion, there's a prayer there. Andy Wareham knows it very well because he's often quoted it. uh, Where you pray forgiveness for the things that you've left undone that you should have done. Yeah, it's also sin just as much as messing around and fooling about and stealing things and just as much so the Christian life cannot be measured merely by the things, list of things we no longer do don't, don't do drugs and don't drink yeah, whatever it's, no, it's not measured just by a, a, a don't list faith produces good works of obedience to the Lord we keep his commandments John's gospel says that over and over again. We keep his commandments. John's letters, sorry. That's a sign of God's grace working us that we're being led by the Spirit. God's grace doesn't permit us to be law breakers. It empowers us to be law keepers. 
to do his will. So let's go on in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. This is God's will, your sanctification. Let me say it again. God calls you a saint. I say, where's the saints in the room? Oh, come on, be bold. You're a Christian. So what does God call you? Oh, when the saints go marching in. We'll do that when we get to the, the second coming and the next one in the series. We'll, we'll play a bit of jazz and we'll, have, we'll have a little scooter around. You are a saint if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. God calls you that. The same way he calls you child, the same way he calls you servant, the same way he calls you to his, to, 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 to his eternal inheritance. Now, the thing is, you know what you are and what you're like. Oh, do you know what you're like? You know what you're like. But God is producing in you what he's already called you. That's the process which is called sanctification. God calls you something and then he makes you. He calls you a, a son, an heir. But you, you grow up into that. You, you understand more about that. You embrace it. You change because of the truth. And so it is with sanctification. The more you believe and accept that God calls you his saint, the more you embrace the change that is necessary for you to become what he's called you. In real life. This is God's will. Sorry, that was a big sermon on just that word there. (laughs) You abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you knows how to control his own body, literally, that's a vessel, in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter. So he's talking specifically about adultery there, taking your brother's wife. Because the Lord is an avenger of all offences. Let me just give you a headline. I wrote it in my book. It's not my notes. Just some headline came to my mind this morning. Listen. What remains unforgiven at the last day must be avenged. What remains unforgiven, hasn't been touched by the grace and mercy of God, will face the wrath of God. What remains unforgiven must be avenged. Therefore, seek the mercy of God and forgiveness of God to cover all your sins. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offences, as he also previously told and warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this, this this truth, this teaching, does not reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. People talk about, I, I, I want to know God's will for my life. Well, here's one of the places the Bible says very clearly, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. So before you think about, you know, I want a public ministry and I want to have my private jet and I want this and I want that. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. The quality of person you become before Jesus returns. God is deeply interested in how you grow as a Christian in how you embrace this sainthood that you're called to. This calls for personal disciplines, to control your own body. A disciple learns discipline. A real discipline is not something that I give to you and tell you to do, but that you, you accept for yourself, and therefore you do when nobody's watching, when nobody knows. You're fasting when nobody knows you're fasting. You're praying when no one knows you're praying. You embrace a personal discipline. It doesn't matter that nobody sees it and nobody knows about it. It's a personal discipline. Paul mentions here sexual immorality, then lustful desires, and then impurity. The Gentiles who don't know God don't think twice about following their physical appetites 
whether it's a food or drink or sex or including in drink is drugs, which is also intoxicating, intoxication. Not so with you, to misquote Jesus at that point there. We're to be disciplined in controlling the appetites of our bodies and practice abstinence from what is not good for us. And sexual morality is clearly defined in the scriptures. I'm going to go here because I'm going to get very hot there. Sexual morality is clearly defined in the scriptures. And I've heard it even from some people who claim to be Christians. Oh, that's old covenant law. We're not under law. No, we're not governed by the old covenant. But the moral law, including the prohibition of certain sexual activity and certain relationships, was upheld by the Lord Jesus. And most of the moral law of the Old Testament is actually repeated in the New Testament letters. It crosses over. Food laws? No, no, no. Making sacrifices of animals, aren't you glad you don't have to do that later on? You can eat one instead. (laughs) But the moral law crosses over. It's repeated. It's affirmed. The Bible, God's word, is consistent on these matters. If you want to argue the Bible is wrong, you're welcome to do that, but you're arguing against God. He who rejects this doesn't reject man, but God. The sexual relationship and sexual activity which is blessed by God is within a monogamous, faithful, heterosexual marriage. You just heard me say it, didn't you? Good. Here's a scripture from Hebrews 13. Marriage must be respected by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. There's just two phrases there. Immoral people and adulterers. Sexual immorality, I'll give you a definition, is every sexual act outside of heterosexual, monogamous, faithful marriage. Every sexual act and activity outside of that framework. And adultery is a sexual act or activity which is unfaithful to heterosexual, monogamous, faithful marriage. It breaks the marriage. It breaks the marriage intimacy. Two very simple definitions of what is good and what isn't. An adultery defrauds a brother because you take his wife from his arms. And God will judge all such behavior. He will avenge all offenses. But sanctification is bigger, bigger issues than the matter of sex. God's word calls us to be disciplined in controlling all of our appetites, including eating and even resting or chillaxing. Some, but not too much. You need to have discipline. Uh, You know, it was an era of Greek philosophy from the Greek, you know, who came before Jesus. You know, most of the Greek, all the Greek philosophers came before Jesus came. It's it's that old, you know, a problem. Uh, But the Greek philosophy infected the church and continues to this day. Here's what happens with Greek philosophy infected the church. People think it doesn't matter what you do with your body because in here I've got a spirit or a soul, some people change the language, which is pure. I'm all right inside, just so it doesn't matter what I do with my body. That is error. That is untrue. That is not biblical. Your physical being, your body, matters to God. Greek philosophy says matter doesn't matter. It's only the spirit that matters. The Bible says, no, you matter, and you are matter, and you matter to God. Sorry if I'm kind of pulling things together there, 
It matters what we do with our body. Listen, the Bible says we will give account to God for the things we've done in our body. And here he talks about being disciplined in our bodies and, and living in a way that glorifies God's body. There's, there's, we've, got a, we've got gospel CDs at home and there's one track on one CD. Carol always sees me going up to the stereo to push, punch it forward. Because the man is kind of rapping over the song and he says this. And I've heard it, other people say the same thing. I've heard it said before. You're not a physical being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a spiritual, physical experience. Do you get that? This is, this is what he says. You're not a physical being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a physical experience. You know, one day you'll get to be just spirit. That is Greek philosophy. It is not scripture. The Bible doesn't say that. And that way of thinking leads to indiscipline and careless. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. Towards the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, which I know is jumping quite a bit down there, but never mind. He's, Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your spirit, soul, and... Say it with me. Body. May your spirit, soul, and body be sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to take care of our bodies as well as our inner man and present them to God having used them well and not abused them. Discipline. I've done that thing of punching my thing. It's got out of thing. Okay, where am I? Where am I? Okay. Every part of your being matters to God and needs to be kept sound and healthy and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus. And God gives us his Holy Spirit as a helper to pursue sanctification, including sexual purity. Now, that, you know, as, as, as a, I hope sometimes a pastor, I need to say a word here. There are people here in the room who have some past in what I'm saying. Yeah. I just want to say this to you. Do you know that you've been forgiven by God? Amen. Through Jesus. Then live now without guilt and live in the freedom from that past sin. I'm going to read to you again from 1 Corinthians 6. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It's kind of really, really bad and then really, really good. Listen to this. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, Anyone practicing homosexuality? No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Three wonderful words there. Washed. Sanctified. Made holy, justified by the finished work of Jesus and the continuing work of the Holy Spirit, washed from your past, made holy by God, accepted by Him, living now in freedom from your past behavior, learning to do what is good and right by the help of God who is at work in you. But if you've been burned by the fire, don't go back to it. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God purposes your sanctification, both body and soul. Pursue it with all your strength by his help. Now some more practical issues. About brotherly love. You don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. 
In fact, you were doing this towards all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers. Now, brothers there is inclusive. He wasn't ignoring all the ladies. Okay. To do so even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders, not dependent on anyone. You may be relieved here. That's as far as we're going today in 1 Thessalonians. First of all, let's go back to this matter of love for one another. Jesus taught it, of course, giving us a new commandment three times over in John's Gospel. John repeats it six times over in his letter, referring to Jesus saying it. Peter and Paul in their letters also call us repeatedly to love one another and to brotherly love. How do we love one another? We treat one another with respect, with kindness. Uh, We offer one another help and support. And if someone's going wrong and, 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 and getting into some trouble, we, we rush to be helpful to them, bring some correction and direction so they can live better than that. And uh, we, so there are times when there's a bit of confrontation because, you know, how do you know? You, you can't be a parent without having some confrontations. All right? You can't be a good friend without having some good confrontations. But we do it in love, not to score points, not to, not to, not to one-up somebody else. You know, I'm doing better than you. You know, God help you. No, we do it for the help, for their help, for their good. Yes. We love one another. Yes. The new commandment, this new commandment, love one another, goes further than the law, which says, "Love your neighbour as yourself." As much as you love yourself, love someone else. No, it goes further than that. Love one another, says Jesus, the way I love you. What? What? Pouring out your life and even to death. Yes, 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 yes. Love one another as I have loved you. How big is that? How high is that mark? How wide and deep is that measure? The love of Jesus. Let me just ask you a question. What kind of Christian does not love, does not give, does not serve. Do we understand this paradigm, this, 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 this description of what a Christian is? Does, do those things not, are those things not essential to this picture in Scripture of what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus? Someone who loves and gives and serves. And then there are some other practical matters. I'm going to do these briefly now. I hope. Seek, let me stop for a moment. I've never heard this verse preached in all my life. I've never heard anyone preach this verse in all my life. Seek to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. And to work with your own hands. And this is a command. Right? This is, this is not advice, this is a command. It comes to us as a command of scripture. Seek to lead a quiet life. Literally, that is be ambitious to lead a quiet life. You know about ambition? I want to be this. I, I'm going to do whatever I can to get on whatever it is, you know, some reality show on TV. Oh, my goodness me. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, that sounds weird in our modern world because we think ambition is this climbing the greasy pole and kicking everybody out of the way to get to the top. Jesus, through Paul, says to his church, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. 
That's revolutionary, man. Here's a scripture in 1 Timothy 2. Listen to this. This is about prayer. Why do we pray? First of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority. Oh, Lord, we need a new prime minister. That's a problem. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all goodness and dignity. So that what? So that we, Christians, may lead a quiet, tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good. It pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. The, the fact that we can live the way we want to live means that we then have an influence on people around us who want to get saved as well. Peter writes that the true beauty of a Christian woman is not outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. It's what's inside the heart. The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very valuable in God's eyes. A tranquil, quiet, gentle life. I'm going to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. A quiet life is not proud or boastful. Pride and boasting are today's normal. But scripture wants us very strongly and repeatedly to put them far from us. Pride, boasting. They're not, they're not, they're not fitting. They're not at all part of seeking a quiet life. They're unchristian. They're not godly. You know, he who boasts biggest gets to be the boss whether in America or in this country, it seems. We as Christians reject that whole way of thinking and behaving. It's not proud, it's not boastful. This love, this Christian character, we seek instead a quiet life. Secondly, it's not a greedy life. Greed is clamorous. It makes fuss and noise. It must have, it must have its way. A person who is greedy is not quiet. They, they, they're, they're telling you that they're entitled to what they want. And they must have it. But that is, again, unchristian, ungodly. Making your ambition to lead a quiet life. Then it's, a quiet life isn't loud, attention-seeking. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Why... Do people seek views and likes on social media? Why do they publish their life to the world? Uh, you know, seek to lead a quiet life. Who cares if no one knows what I'm doing today? It's no secret. They could, they could watch me on, on CCTV for all I care. But no one needs... I don't need to tell everybody what I'm doing every minute of the day. Do you pursue an ambition? Do you pursue fame? Oh... Fame is fleeting, friends. And when it's gone and passes, there's only bitterness remains. Here is the wisdom of Scripture. It's very wise. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And then lastly, on this point, a quiet life doesn't need to, doesn't have to, and shouldn't fill every minute with noise. Moments of quiet, of thought, meditation are very good for us. But modern life doesn't encourage us. It's got to be noising, 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 tick cart, noise on, noise on, noise on. I remember decades ago when I was still a young man. By the way, on those, on those pictures of International Day, there was some bald-headed old guy sat in the front row all the time. Who's he? Um, <laughs> oh, no, that's me again. Um, I remember decades ago when I was a young man, still there. 
a good Bible teacher telling us that if you want to hear God for yourself, you need to start by switching off the other voices and noises. You don't hear God listening to the radio, even if it's UCV. Turn off the sound, turn to the Lord, and it's amazing how quickly you begin to hear his voice. Turn off and tune in, is the way he put it. But living a quiet life is connected to what follows. Mind your own business. M-Y-O-B. I used to use a piece of software, accounting software, called Mind Your Own Business. M-Y-O-B. Because that phrase literally means take care of your livelihood, your home and your family. But in English it comes to mean another thing too. Don't mind other people's business. Look after your own stuff. Okay. Now this is not a gender issue. A Christian male or female should not be a busybody. Keep yourself busy so you're not a busybody. Gossip should be foreign to us. I'm going to give you a chunk of Proverbs. Let me just read them to you here. Okay? There's four Proverbs. I'm not going to tell you where they're from. A gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. Yep. A contrary man spreads conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Yeah. The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. Without wood, fire goes out. Without gossip, conflict dies down. Paul writing to the Corinthians in this second letter says, I fear that perhaps when I come I'll not be able to find what I want. I may not be found by you to be what you want because in other words I'm going to have to come in here and be a bit strong with you. There may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. Sounds like the local, lo- local elections, doesn't it? In fact, beware of chat, idle talk, which is often what social media is about today. In the early church, there wasn't any, you know, uh, um, uh, any uh, benefit system. You know, they didn't take care of anybody. The state didn't take care of anybody. Families themselves had to. And the early church were very serious about their support for widows and orphans and the elderly. But Paul writes to Timothy, instructing him to encourage young widows to marry, remarry and raise children in case they become idle. Let me read it to you. At the same time, they, young widows also learn to be idle. Going from house to house, they're not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't say. Let me just sum up some of this biblical wisdom for us. More words, less wisdom. Fewer words, more wisdom. Do you want to be thought wise? Say less. Don't have an opinion about everything. That applies to every form of human communication. Every form of communication. I'm just distilling some, you know, the wisdom scriptures here. More words, less wisdom. Fewer words, more wisdom. Seek to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Remember... Peter and John and Jesus, and John, Jesus has confronted Peter, and then he's, he's carefully stored him you know, three times over. Do you still love me? Do you love me? And, uh, and he's, Jesus is giving instructions to Peter, and Peter's looking around him, and John's not far away. He says, what about him? What about him? He says, you know, whoa, 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 searchlight over there. Enough, enough of me, you know. And Jesus says, what's that to you? You know, what's that to you? 
We need to have an attitude of heart that says, if I'm concerned... Oh, I know what I was going to say as well. If you're really concerned for somebody, go and talk to them and help them. But if you talk to somebody else about them, that is gossip. And it's not just idle, it's not just empty. It has a very destructive quality to it. So if you're concerned about somebody, pray for, here's the thing to do. Pray for them and go to them. All right? And then this last one, work with your own hands. Work with your hands. Now, of course, today we don't just work with our hands, we work with computers and whatever. Go and work. Spend your time and energy earning a living. In 2 Thessalonians 3, there's this longer section where Paul writes this. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother who walks irresponsibly and not according to the tradition received from us. That tradition just means their teaching. For you yourselves know how you must imitate us. We were not irresponsible among you. We didn't eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and struggled working night and day so we would not be a burden to any of you. It's not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Sounds a good principle, doesn't it? (laughs) For we hear that there are some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. How's that going over there then? I'm not really busy today, so I thought I'd come and see you. Sorry about that. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is serious. I command and exhort by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That quietly working, they may eat their own food. Brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. In Ephesians, Paul says, the thief must no longer steal. Pretty obvious, really, but never mind. Indeed, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. You're a Christian now. So work is now blessed. Earning a living is, the, is, is what honours God. Honest work, hard work, earning a living. Even easy money is usually dishonest money. That's, that's my statement on a whole raft of economic principles, including you know, doing this and playing that and all kinds of things. Easy money is generally dishonest money. It's an essential Christian call that we work to live unless we're incapacitated to do so or have finished our working life and are now drawing a pension that by the way we contributed while we were working we're drawing back what we put in so Christians should neither steal swindle, slouch or sponge that's all me, I I wrote that one (laughs) Christians should neither steal swindle, slouch or sponge. And all of that we've looked at just now. Sexual morality, personal disciplines, brotherly, sisterly love, leading a quiet life, minding your own business, working for a living is both pleasing to God, but it's also our example to the world. The world is watching us as we do these things. And all of this is so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders, those who are outside the faith as yet that they see, they hear, they observe, and they are watching. If you name the name of Christ, they start to watch. 
And they're listening when you're not talking to them to see what you're talking about when you're not talking to them. <coughs> and not be dependent on anyone. Our example to the world. Our witness to the world around us, to unbelieving people, is the way we walk, the way we live, we conduct ourselves. Our works, the things we do, including the good that we do, for their sake, we're helpful, we're contributory, we're affirming. And then our words. I would suggest we look, think of them in that order. How do we live in the world? What's the way of, our way of life like? What good do we do to the world as well as after one another? And what are we saying among and to the world? The world doesn't want to listen to our words until they've watched how we live and seen what we do. In Romans 12 we read this, Therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable or logical worship. Do not be conformed to this age or world. Let me say that again. Do not be conformed, pressed in to shape the same shape. You look the same, sound the same as the rest of the world. That's a biblical instruction. Don't be like everybody else. So be an, be an emo or a punk instead. Be a Christian. Be a Christian. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. If we're just like the world or on the other hand we don't engage with the world, we just try to be in our little Christian corner, you know, not going near anybody who's not a Christian... <laughs> then we've lost what Jesus told us. He says, you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You need to be out there bringing light. You need to be out there making a difference and bring, stopping the rot with some salt. That's what salt is. It's not to make it taste good. We, we like salt because we've, we've, we've accustomed our bodies to liking salt. But salt was originally to stop the stuff rotting. You ever had salt beef? Salted herring? You salt the stuff to stop it rotting. That's what it's for. We're here to stop the rot somehow. It's in some places. We are in the world, but not of the world. We're the Lord's. We don't live for what the world lives for. We've renounced their values, their agenda. And yet we live among them, exampling a different way of life. It's called living for Jesus. It's called being a child of his kingdom. We don't simply follow another philosophy the way that Greens or Radicals oppose the establishment. We radically obey the Creator and follow his word. We invest the whole of our lives in his will and his purpose, looking for an eternal reward, not now. We're not just a bit different. <laughs> we're, we're, we're of a different order. We're of a different age. We're living for the age to come. We're heading in a totally different direction to eternal life, not destruction. We treasure what the world doesn't, and we don't treasure what the world does. Why? Because one day, all of this will be burned up. So, hey, let's live for a better thing, shall we? Let's live for a world to come. Uh, do I need to remind you that the world will resent us being different and serving the Lord? They'll accuse us of being critical and self-righteous. Well, let me just cure that for a minute. The cure for that is don't be critical of them. Don't conform, but don't be critical. Just choose not to live the same way. Then don't be self-righteous. Apart from the grace of God, you would be just like them. Remember 2 Corinthians, you know, and such were some of you? You were just the same. One, I've risen time because I've run out of time. Ephesians 2 says, you know, we were the same. 
We walk the same way. We live the same way. We're the children of the devil, the same as them, children of wrath, under God's judgment. We were the same. But God, in his great mercy, has saved us. So confess not that you're a good person now, but confess that you are somebody who's been saved and radically changed by the grace of God through Jesus. You'd be living the same way. Let him that boasts, boast in the Lord. All that we are now is because of God's grace and all that we'll grow to be is because of God's grace. So live by that grace. Choose to live this Christian life without compromise but without being critical of those who sadly are in the same place that we once were in. When we come back to Thessalonians, we'll be looking at how when Jesus comes, the dead in Christ are raised and we are transformed and so on. Caught up into the air to meet the Lord on the last day. I just want to finish with this. It was said of Enoch that he walked with God until one day he wasn't there because God took him. Do you remember that, Genesis? May we walk with him every day until the day he takes us. Whether that's the last day of our life or the last day of the world. But we have one life to live in the light of the fact that one day this age will end. And everything the world values now is going to go. Everything. But we, the children of God, will live forever. We're living in the light, not just of the last day, but the age to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.